been talking the past few weeks about handling tough times. Now, I know that sounds a little interesting, especially this time of year when people say, well, you know, this, this is the time of celebration. This is the time uh, where we come together and we're all excited about what's going to be taking place for Christmas. But you know what? In the midst of even the best of times, in the midst of the time uh, where it seems like everything ought to be the greatest, people still have tough times. How many of you have ever experienced tough times while somebody else was having a good time? Ever notice that it works that way? And so as we begin to look at the story of, of, of the birth of Jesus and how this whole process came about, uh, we, we begin to see some things in the Word of God, and we begin to extrapolate some principles that God can use in our lives. So I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles this morning and go to the book of Luke, the first chapter, uh, because again, I, I want us to go back to this story uh, of the birth of Jesus and how it took place. And as you're doing that, let me greet the campuses this morning, and we welcome them today. We're trusting God ministers to you through the Word of God today as it is preached here. Uh, the book of Luke, the first chapter, verse 26, says, Now in the sixth month, the angel was sent by God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a woman. I'm going to have to enlarge that so I can read it. There we go. Betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Now, the, the Word of God sets up this incredible happening that takes place. I mean, do, do you realize that this encounter literally changed the course of history? That 2,000 years ago, there was an angel that appeared to a young woman and told her that she was going to have a baby. And as great as that was, what we miss in this is the disgrace that she is going to have to face for the rest of her life. And so I want to talk this morning on how that you handle disgrace. How, how do you go through that? The, the, the word disgrace just means to cause shame. Now, I don't know if you've lived long enough, but if you've probably lived longer than, I don't know, 30 minutes, uh, you've had a cause for shame. And, and you've have, you have experienced some disgrace in your life. And, and you know, as I, as I begin to think about that, I thought, uh, you know, there, there, there are some names that kind of uh, go along with, with disgrace at some level. You know, uh, President Bill Clinton, Senator Larry Craig and the bathroom incident, Senator John Edwards, who was to be president, but Bishop Eddie Long. Evangelist Jimmy Swaggart. In the baseball world, Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco. All of a sudden, these people who had achieved great fame, great renown, all of a sudden for indiscretions of some sort or the other, they find themselves in a place of disgrace. 
And what is so needful for us to understand this morning is, is that in each and every one of our lives, we face these moments of disgrace. Now, sometimes, as in the story of Mary, uh, it's not in anything that you have done to bring about that disgrace. It's something that has, is an outward effect in your life. There are other times that we have caused the disgrace that has come into our life. But how do we go about handling this disgrace? Now, when you read the Scripture there, and if you keep reading through that passage, what you find is is that she is given this great promise. You are going to bring forth the Messiah. You are going to be the one who births the one who everybody has been looking for for thousands of years. But let me tell you something about a promise. A promise does not eliminate problems. Now, don't miss that. Just because you get a promise does not mean there's not going to be some persecution that goes along with that promise. A lot of times we think in our lives, well, I, I got this promise. I, I was told in God's Word that this was going to happen or, or the Lord spoke to me or somebody uh, talked to me in my life and, and I thought everything was going to be wonderful. But I want to tell you, just because you get something good spoken over your life does not mean you're not going to experience some problems in life. And so Mary is getting she says lord let it be unto me according to your word and she goes through all that but i want to tell you from the moment she said that till the day she died she walked around in disgrace in front of a lot of people's eyes in fact it's quite clear from scripture that they referred to jesus as an illegitimate child his entire life and, and people would refer back to that, and they would talk uh, about Mary and how, how that she, you know, she was a loose woman and, and all the things that were said about her. And yet, you know what? She didn't deserve any of that. Verse 28 says, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you, and blessed are you among women. Uh, that, that word highly favored means you, you have been given the grace of God Almighty. Now, here's what I found out when you go through times of disgrace in your life. Again, whether or not you originated the problem or someone else did, God always gives you grace in the middle of disgrace. Don't miss that. You, you say, well, pastor, you got to understand, I, I'm the one who caused the divorce. I, I'm the one who, who, who created the bankruptcy. I'm the one who did all that. How can God's grace be in that? Do you realize that the Bible says that His mercies are new how often? Every morning. Every morning that you get up, God's mercy is there. And so God comes in and he looks at us and he says, highly favored one. And we go, wow, that's really good. But let me help you. When he says, highly favored one, get ready. Because what he has just said to you is, I'm giving you enough grace because you're getting ready to need it. I mean, I learned this years ago. I remember one of the first uh, times I was around uh, somebody who had a prophetic gifting, and, and, and they gave me this word. It was, it was, you know, and it was really good. It was, you know, all these great things were going, and I was so pumped. Man, I was, I was ready. I, man, I'm going to, you know, be used mightily of God. All these great things are going to happen. But they didn't tell me that what they had just did was they had just opened the door to hell itself in my life because I was getting ready to go through something God's grace was going to take me through it but before I received the promise there was going to be some persecution and so the angel shows up and says you got grace Mary but hang on 
because there's going to be some disgrace that comes into your life as you experience what God has for you. Verse 38, it says, Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You have to understand, not only does God give you grace, but secondly, you have to also understand that you are God's servant. You are the Lord's servant. And, and that means that he, first of all, is not going to allow you to go through something that he is not going to be there with you. Now, some of us need to believe that a little bit more today. Some of us have a tendency to think that when, when we go through these disgraceful times, when we go through these times uh, where there's shame and heartache and, and all kind of problems, that God has forgotten us. Listen, the Scripture says this. He said, I will never leave you, I will not forsake you, but I will go with you till the end of the age. So he has promised that he is going to be there with us, that he is, his presence and his anointing are going to be there. But, but you have to understand that in those moments, in those times, that no matter what happens to you, that you are his servant. And even if you go through the valley of the shadow of death, you are doing it because he has predestined you to experience that. Now, now I, I, I've been praying some things in my life, and, and at times I pray according to the will of God, and sometimes I pray according to the will of Eddie. Anybody else? And, and the Lord just reminded me of something just recently as I was praying. I was, and it doesn't matter what. I was praying about a specific thing, and, and I was praying, Lord, I want, and, and, and I was giving what it, what it was that I wanted. And the Lord just simply and gently, it wasn't mean, it wasn't harsh. He just gently reminded me, I have told you this is what I will do. Why don't you pray for that? And all of a sudden, it, it was in the same vein of what I was asking God for, but it was in a smaller portion of what I was asking God for. But God reminded me that I am his servant. And if I am his servant, then if I will pray, the Bible says, according to his will, then I'll receive what I've asked for. And so as you begin to understand that, then you can begin to live life uh, in, in, a, in a manner that no matter what you go through, some of the names that I named a while ago, some of those people ha have come out on the other side and have done well. Others of them have failed miserably, and yet all of them experience the same thing, and that is they all experience disgrace. And so it, it is not if you are going to be disgraced, it's just when are you going to be disgraced. It's just going to happen. And, and so how do we handle that? As, as we approach this today, how do we handle this whole process when we go through disgrace, when we go through shame and, and, and the, the whole agony that goes along with that? Look in verse 46 and 47, the same chapter there. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. The first thing you've got to do, if, if you want, I'm going to give you four quick things here. If you want to handle disgrace in a way that is beneficial to you so that you can come out on the other side being victorious, the first thing you've got to do is that you've got to rejoice in God. I, I can tell you really appreciated that one. You say, Pastor, it doesn't feel like a time to rejoice. The Bible says rejoice in all things. And again, I say, rejoice. 
I mean, he, he says, look, it doesn't matter what's happening in your life. The Word of God says all things work together for good to them who are called according to God and called according to His purpose. You have been given today the responsibility in life to rejoice no matter what's happening outwardly around you. See, there's a difference in joy and happiness. Happiness is dependent on the circumstances. In a few days' time, as children gather around trees and start ripping paper, happiness will set in. But it won't last long. How many times have you seen the present stacked up almost as high as the tree is and you start handing them out and finally the last one is handed and somebody says, is that all? Why? Because it is dependent on an outward circumstance. It's dependent on what's under the tree, what's left to be unwrapped, what I am going to get. But it doesn't take very long. It just, you know, it takes a breaking of the toy to lose the happiness. And the sad thing is, is that we expect that of children. But the truth is, many adults live the same way. We live allowing the outward circumstances of what's happening around us to dictate how that you and I live according to God's Word. When there are things good, we're living for God. We're doing what God has called us to. We're rejoicing. But let there be a setback. Let there be some disgrace that comes into our life or into a family member's life. And all of a sudden, instead of us rejoicing in God, we get mad. And we begin to try our best to figure out why it's somebody else's fault. Instead of saying, do you realize that Mary could have spent her life saying, well, you got to understand, it wasn't my fault. I, I didn't do this. I didn't create this situation. God sovereignly chose me and came down and did this, and I got pregnant, and everybody in the village knew I was pregnant and wasn't married. We don't find one place in Scripture where Mary ever takes time to defend herself even in the midst of a disgraceful situation. So you and I have got to come to the place where we say, wait a minute, in the midst of whatever I am going through, in the midst of whatever is happening in my life, I am going to rejoice in God because He has blessed me, He has saved me, He has kept me, and I know that no matter what happens in this world, like Job said, even if the skin worms devour this body, yet in my flesh I know I will see God. So you know what? The worst thing that can happen is I'm going to die. That's the worst. But when I die, guess what? I have just stepped across into the rest of my inheritance. And so whatever happens here is nothing compared to what is going to happen there. And so I've got to come to that place of saying, Lord, in the midst of everything, I'm going to rejoice. Look in verse 48 and 49. It says, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. Now, this is Mary uh, recounting. Said, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. I I've always thought that that's interesting, that Mary stands there and she says, from this point on, all generations are going to call me blessed. And I've often thought how ridiculous that sounded. 
Here she, she is a teenage girl, according to history. Uh, she is pregnant without a husband. Uh, she, is, she is in a mess. You talk about disgraceful. In that society, I mean, you know, in our society, well, we've kind of come to the point it's not, it's not very disgraceful anymore, anymore for somebody to show up pregnant and, and not be married. But in that society, it was, it was just about the worst thing that could happen. And yet here she stands, and she starts declaring, I know I'm pregnant, and I know I don't have a husband, but from this day forward, all generations are going to call me blessed. Verse 49 says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. The second thing when you are going through disgrace that you've got to hang on to is that you've got to know that God knows about you. I mean, Mary Mary just brings it all together and begins to talk about the mightiness of God and, and, and who he was and, and how he had called uh, her forth and, and all the things that, that he was, was doing on her behalf. Listen, no matter what you are experiencing, no matter what you are going through today, I want to tell you, God knows you. He doesn't know about you. He's, he's not... As Bette Midler sings a few years ago, he's not watching you from a distance. You know, what a song became popular because it had a great melody and it sounded good and, and we all listened to it. Well, those of you real holy didn't, but, uh, and, and well, it was, oh, he's watching me from a distance. God's not watching you from a distance. If you are his child this morning, God's living in you. He knows everything about you. The Bible says that he knows you so intimately, he knows every time a hair falls out. You say, it doesn't say that. What well, it says, he's got the hair of your head numbered, so when one falls out, he knows it's one less. Amen. The, the Bible says that, that if he takes care of the sparrow that flies, how much more will he take care of you? I, I don't know if anybody else is, is facing some of these things, but, uh, but recently as I begin to look at, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know what middle-aged is. I mean, if I'm middle-aged, that must mean I'm going to live to be about 110 or 120, so that's fine with me. But uh, as, as I, I begin to kind of look at my future and some of the things, I, you know, you, you, you want to be a wise planner and you want to get everything in order. And so I met with financial advisors and said, what do I need to do? And here's, here's the things, and they laid it all out. And, and, and then right in the middle of that, uh, we, we went into recession. And, and everything that I was investing all of a sudden was less, you know, less vital than it had been just a few weeks ago. And I'm looking at this, and, and I'm going, wait a minute. If, if I am trusting in that, I'm in trouble. Be, because do you, I, I don't know if you realize this or not, but I don't care if you have a million dollars in the bank right now or several million. You could wake up tomorrow morning and it be worthless. That's my encouraging word for the day, by the way. And so you've got to come to that place where you say, you know what, I am going to live for God in the midst of it because I know that God knows about what's happening in my life. And so I'm just going to keep on. And Mary said, you know what, God knows about me. Even in disgrace, God knows about me. Verse 50 says, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. The third thing is, is that God is merciful. God's merciful. We really don't talk about that as much as we should. 
You say, Pastor, if you talk about God's mercy, it just gives people a license to sin. I found out years ago people were sinning without a license. They'd never taken the test. They were just sinning. And, and so what, what I've come to the realization is, is that however great my disgrace may be in the moment, God's mercy is bigger. God's mercy is bigger. Whatever I'm going through, whatever I have experienced, whatever I've done or didn't do, God's mercy is still better. Just recently I had somebody walk by after I'd preached a sermon. They said, Pastor, I need you to pray. And I said, okay. They said, years ago, I just left and walked out on my family. I don't even know where they are. Would you pray that I'd be reconnected to that? I've, I've spent years of talking with people whose lives have been destroyed either by something that they did or something someone else did. I've talked to people whose parents did things to them as children that are so disgraceful I would not even bear to repeat that to you this morning, what they experienced as a child. And they've taken that disgrace through their life and they have they have looked at their life through this prism that says I'm disgraced and it'll never change but I'm standing here to tell you this morning it doesn't matter how messed up your life has been there is a Savior who paid the penalty for your sin who, who gave himself for you. And this whole story that we're talking about is how that he came to this earth so that you could be freed from your disgrace. And so when you understand, as Mary did, she says, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. She just said, Lord, I know you're merciful. And I hang on to that. I want to tell you, you may not need it, but every morning I get up needing the mercy of God. And what's so great is I know it's always there. Verse 51 says, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. The fourth and final thing that you need to understand when you're going through disgrace is that God is mighty. Not only is God merciful, God is mighty. You say, you don't know how bad it's messed up. It doesn't matter. It does not matter how horrible the circumstance is. God is greater than the greatest difficulty you're facing in life. I mean, have you read the Bible lately? You, you know, we, we, we talk about, we, we, we throw terms around. They become, uh, you know, kind of uh, great catchphrases in our society. And, and, and one of those terms that we hear a lot about now are, are dysfunctional families. Never heard that? Well, that family's dysfunctional, indicating that somebody else's is functional. And I don't know what a functional family is. You know, June Cleaver has died, literally, all right? 
that that whole thing is over with. And 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 so I kept hearing dysfunctional family. Well, I, that's because they're from a dysfunctional family. It's because of this. And so I thought one day I thought, you know what? Let me just read the Bible and find out what a functional family is. You know, if there's dysfunction, so there's function. I started reading the Bible. And I've read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and I cannot find a family that wasn't dysfunctional at some level. Amen? I, I mean, you say, well, David's family must have really been a great family. Really? His own daddy forgets that he even has the kid. I mean, you know, I, I created a lot of grief for my family. They never forgot me. You know, then you start reading David's family. I mean, you talk about dysfunction junction. You know, he has a son that uh, rapes one of the daughters. He has a, another son who kills that son, another son who takes the kingdom. From, I mean, it goes, you, you talk about messed up people. And yet God took them and used them for his glory. Why? Because God is greater than what you're facing. You know, I've often wondered, maybe, maybe I'm a little, I don't know, but I've often wondered, I mentioned some politicians earlier in, in the beginning of this sermon that have, you know, what is, is, and all that stuff. Uh, you know, I, what, I wonder what would happen if a politician would just walk before the American people and just say, I did it. I'm guilty, but I'm asking you for your mercy. You know what I think would happen? I think that guy or that gal, that their poll ratings would go through the roof. Because everybody understands that we all mess up. Except church people, they don't understand that. Church people come in and act holy. Got it together, got it fixed. We're all right. Sherry and I were talking just recently and she said, she said, I really wish that at some point we'd quit being a hospital. And, and we, we, we were having some legitimate discussion about it. And, and it, you know, it really, there, there are times that you go, okay, uh, th this hospital thing of a church kind of gets old because you, you're always patching up people and always getting them back together and always fixing things and always, you know, trying to get them healthy and moving and doing what they need to be doing. And then, and then you know, in moments when people get healthy, they do other things. And so you go, okay, what, what is the deal with all this? And yet what I found is this, is that the day that the church ceases to be a hospital is the day it becomes a museum. And, and so churches, churches have one or two options. We can either be hospitals that are working on people, helping them to become everything that they need to be, getting them patched up so that they can do what God's called them to do, or we can celebrate the saints of the ages. You know, and it's interesting how history gets rewritten. You know, if, if you were to go back and talk to some people who live with some of your greatest heroes, they might not be so great a hero to you. But because of the, of the, the paradigm of history that you have, you think, oh, they were wonderful. They never did anything wrong. They never, yes, somebody knows something that's disgraceful about them. Here's what's wonderful about this whole thing, is that the, the promise 
that Mary was given, even with the disgrace, that promise became a reality. The Bible lets us know that Joseph with Mary went to Judea. And it said when he got there that everything was full. And so there wasn't any place. There wasn't a room for them. And so they found themselves in a stable. But the Bible says that while they were there, she was delivered of this baby, this Christ child. This one who changed history. It says she brought, first, brought forth her firstborn son and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the end. Get it? Not only is there disgrace in Mary's life, but even the Savior of all mankind is in a stable. You talk about disgraceful. And yet the king of kings loved you enough to be born in a stable. He identifies with us. We miss that so often. I recently heard a story about a lady who came to the front for prayer at a service and as she was prayed for, she just began to weep uncontrollably. And, and she was so uncontrollable that, that they eased her to a seat and she just wept and wept and wept and wept. And said, and then all of a sudden the weeping, she began to laugh. And just laughed and laughed and laughed. And they went to her after she'd kind of calmed down and they said, can you tell us what happened? She said, well, when you begin to pray for me, she said, I instantly remembered a time in my life when I was a little child. She said, I was in school, and, and she said, there was going to be the Christmas play, and, and she said, we were so poor. And she said, all the children were wear, all the girls were wearing long dresses and black shoes. And she said, we didn't have money to buy black shoes. And she said, so my mom was trying to be helpful and said, my mom took shoe polish and just covered my feet. And she said, I was so happy, I didn't think anything about it. I said, I got there. And she said, all of the kids saw my feet and they began to laugh and laugh and laugh. And she said, it broke my heart. And she said, I've carried that image in my heart for all of these years. And they said, well, we understand why you were crying, but why did you start laughing? She said, as I was crying, she said, I saw this picture of Jesus and said, he came and he stood before me and said, he had on his royal robes, he had the crown on, he said, it was just the splendor, but said, all of a sudden, he just picked his robe up a little bit and said his feet were painted black as well. And she said, it so has changed me 
to know that my Savior identified with me to that level. You know what? Whatever's happened in your life, Jesus Christ came to identify with that. You say, really? Yeah. Pastor, I'm an abuse victim. I'm a person who struggles with addiction. I'm the person who's been through multiple marriages. I'm the person who has failed at business time and time again. I'm the person, and, and we can go on and on and on. But I want to tell you, no matter how great the disgrace is, the grace of God is still there.